This is Father Robert Barron. Friends, I invite you to reflect with me on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a non-for-profit apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization. We utilize media, both old and new, to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. Through our efforts, we hope to take the gospel out into the peripheries of the culture, where the transformative power of God's Word is most needed. Let us open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each one of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might share the warmth and light of Jesus Christ, who is the Word on Fire. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, one of the worst things we can do is to imagine Advent simply as a cozy little season, a time simply for interior preparation for the coming of Christ. See, I don't think we'll understand Advent correctly until we see it as a preparation for a revolution. The best way now to do this is to go back to the time when our Advent scriptures were written. You hear crackling through these readings, this energy, this revolutionary power. Throughout the Advent season, the church is inviting us to listen to the prophet Isaiah, especially those sections of Isaiah dealing with the return of the Israelites from exile in Babylon. Now, to get the power of this, we have to pause just a bit and remember what that meant for Old Testament Jews. Their country, their capital city, Jerusalem, destroyed. The temple burned to the ground. Their best and brightest hauled off into slavery. It's hard to imagine, maybe I'd suggest September 11th times 1,000, to give you some sense of what that meant. Their whole country, culture, religion, it seemed, compromised. It was a trauma of the first order for biblical Jews. But then about 75 years later, the exiles are allowed to return. And Isaiah sees this now as the great triumph of the God of Israel. Hearkening back, in fact, to the greatest triumph of the God of Israel when he led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. This was a new exodus, a new act of liberation. So listen now to the words from our first reading. He, God, has sent me to bring glad tidings to the lowly, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to announce a year of favor from the Lord, a day of vindication by our God. That's not just a generic claim there. It's a very specific uh, claim being made. The day of vindication by our God, that's the day of, of exile, when the Lord has shown his power. The year of favor, see, is a liberty to captives, a release to prisoners. Those are very specific prisoners, the captives in Babylon. The prophet wants to announce this good news to those in prison. And see, friends, this is the pattern of Israelite history. This is the lens through which they read their lives. 
They had the destiny, they knew, of being God's chosen people, meant to carry his salvation to the nations. But instead, over and again, they seemed to be enslaved, overrun, harassed, conquered, carried into exile, subjugated. The great empires of the world, from Egypt to Babylon, Greece, and Rome, each envisioning itself as a bearer of order and truth, had overrun Israel. And this was, as I've been suggesting, not just a political problem, this was a theological problem. Because Israel was meant to be the nation through which God would begin to reign. And that's why at these key moments, when God reveals his power, Israel exalts, they celebrate. They knew they were languishing, at least for a time, in slavery, but God would display himself. Now, fast forward about 500 years from the return of the exiles to the beginning of Christianity. The miracle and surprise of Christianity is the claim that in Jesus Christ, Yahweh, the God of Israel, who had displayed his power in the Exodus, yes, had displayed his power in the return of the exiles from Babylon, now definitively revealed himself as king. He had finally deposed all the false powers of the world. Pharaoh, the king of Babylon, all their successors up to the emperor of Rome had been effectively rendered powerless. The task of the first Christians, they saw it, was to announce, listen now, this advent, this coming of the new king. Remember the opening line to last week's gospel? We're reading now during um, this cycle B of the year from the gospel of Mark. Mark was most likely a companion of Peter, who would come to Rome with the great apostle to help him maybe act as his secretary. He probably knew some Latin well enough to get by, and and his Greek was, though somewhat primitive, it was powerful and clear. If we believe the Acts of the Apostles, Mark was also, at another stage of his career, a companion of Paul. Mark's friends, Peter and Paul, were both put to death around the year 65 in the persecution prompted by Nero. Mark wrote his gospel, probably in Rome, around the year 70, so just within, let's say, five years of the state-sponsored murder of his friends. And here is how his gospel commences. Here begins the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, it might sound bland enough to us, familiar enough to us, but those are fighting words. Because the Greek used here is euangelion, glad tidings, evangelism, and all that comes from that word. Euangelion was used in ancient times to describe an imperial victory. When Caesar won a battle, he would send literally evangelists out ahead of him, bearing the good news, the euangelion, that he'd won a battle. What Mark is saying now, in the very opening line of his work, is that the real good news doesn't have a thing to do with Caesar. The real victory... The victory over sin and death 
has been won by the true king. Listen now. The true king whom Caesar put to death, but whom God raised from the dead. Pharaoh, the king of Babylon, the Greeks, the the Roman emperor, you can have all of them. That's what Mark is saying. I've got the real good news for you. It's about the victorious God of Israel. And then, just to rub things in a bit, Mark refers to Jesus as the witos tutheu, the Son of God. Now, again, that sounds familiar enough to us, but those are fighting words, too. Because one of Caesar's titles was witos tutheu, Son of God. Remember that Julius Caesar, upon his death, was declared divine. He declared a god. His adopted son, Augustus, became therefore the Witos Tutheu, the son of God. And that title was assumed by the Roman emperors after him. Son of God. The Romans, perhaps even more than the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, had a sense of carrying their order to the world. Their emperor was a divine figure, carrying divine purpose and order to the nations. Do you see, therefore, what Mark is saying and how subversive this is? He's saying the Roman emperor is not really the son of God. He's not the bearer of God's order. Jesus is. And mind you, he's saying this right in Rome. He's in the capital of the empire that killed his friends. He's certainly in a distinct minority. But right at the beginning of his work, he says, I've got the real gospel. I've got the real good news. And I'm going to tell you about the one who's really the witos tutheu, the son of God. You see what the church is doing now during Advent and why I say Advent should not just be sentimentalized. The church is standing up to all those powers. And brothers and sisters, you know as well as I do, they still exist to the present day. What I mean are those powers that claim to be the source of order, the source of authority, whose message ought to spread around the whole world. I mean, you can see them up and down the ages. The church stands up at Advent and says, "Uh uh-uh, not those powers. Christ is the bearer of the divine power. Christ is the bearer of the divine order. He is the true king to whom final allegiance is due. Okay, so there's the basic message. What else are we finding now in these Gospels as we appeal to John the Baptist? Who is he? Are you the Messiah, they ask him? Are you the prophet? No, no, no. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. You see how John hearkens right back to Isaiah. The exiles are coming back. What should we do? Prepare a way. Build a highway in the desert to facilitate their return. By extension, build a highway for the God who is leading them back. That's what Isaiah says. And now John repeats that. See how beautiful that is. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. 
In other words, build a highway to facilitate the return of the true king. How do you do it? By preparing your hearts and your minds and your bodies and your communities to live in accord with the dictates of the new king. That's what he's saying. Prepare ye the way of the Lord is get ready now to receive the one who is the true king of the world and not any of these pretenders. The true king is coming. Don't fall asleep. Don't be indifferent to him. But rather prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. See, and that's what, why I say Advent is the preparation for a revolution. Because can you see, friends, what we do is we interiorize, don't we, all the suggestions of the worldly powers, whether they're political, cultural, pop culture, whatever they are, that tell us how to live, how to think, how to behave, how to react. John the Baptist is saying, repent. It just means change, change your attitude, change your mind, change your way of thinking, change your perspective, so as to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. So Advent, cozy little season. No, 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 no. Not with these readings in mind, which are crackling with this revolutionary energy. Advent better is a time to wake up. Listen, to realize who's in charge, to realize who the king is, and then change everything in you so as to facilitate the arrival of that king into your life, into your community, into your society, into your culture. I think that's the great Advent message. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Word on Fire. I hope that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor. Until we meet again next week, I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Friends, I'm happy to announce that my new DVD study program, Priest, Prophet, King, is now available. This deeply biblical presentation will help you better understand Jesus and realize your own priestly, prophetic, and kingly mission. Learn more and pick up your copy at priestprophetking.com.